0: Hi there. My name's Peter Bell. I'm founder and CTO at CTO Connection, a community where senior engineering leaders can share problems and get answers. Check us out at ctoconnection.com. Today, in our short bite, I'll be chatting with James Smith, co-founder and CEO at Bugsnag, and we'll be discussing the age-old considerations when you're trying to decide whether to build or buy software. First, I want to take a moment to thank our partners. AWS is our global partner, and our sustaining partners are Cold Climate, Carrot, and LaunchDarkly. And without them, we couldn't afford to create these resources for the community at all. So thanks so much. Building versus buying is always a fraught decision. Normally, buying a solution provides more capability and a quicker time to market, but then you have the potential of vendor lock-in and being constrained by the limitations of the tool that you chose. And in the engineering world, it's even harder. I mean, while not invented here syndrome is becoming less prevalent, you still need to pick between a ground-up implementation or leveraging open source, professional open source, or a commercial offering. And then to think about how do you incorporate low-code APIs and no-code solutions into your text mix in ways that reduces your build and maintenance costs without limiting the quality of your final solution. Join us to hear how James thinks about the balance, both as a CEO of a company that buys other people's software and as the founder of a company that sells its own SaaS solution. So James, uh, thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for having me, Peter.
0: So as a CEO of a SaaS company, I feel like you're uniquely positioned to talk about this whole building versus buying software. Uh, Let's start off with your CEO hat on. What do you do when a member of your executive team asks you to go approve a major SaaS purchase for their department
1: well i in general i think i'll try to give people broad budget control so that they can say this is where we're investing this is what we expect to see in roi um but outside of that normal kind of annual quarterly budgeting process whatever it looks like um yeah quite often An opportunity will come up mid-year to say, look, actually we've discovered this new tool or technology uh, that we didn't think about before. It wasn't in our budget and we'd really like to use it because we think it will have this impact. Uh, And so if typically that will be like, can I have more budget or can we dig into the budget or readjust it or or steal from another department maybe? Uh, But I think typically I ask, what do we expect to get out of this? Uh, Because I like to be relatively generous with I don't want to be the the person who's like uh, holding the purse very tightly, uh, purse strings very tightly. So I'll say like, what do we expect to get out of this? And I think that sometimes people think, well, that's such a metric, specific metrics driven question. In reality, it's more like what outcomes do you expect to see? And as a CEO, I don't really care too much about if you get it right or not. Uh, I'm asking you because I want to know, have you thought about what you expect out the other side? So, you know, let's say you're buying a a, a marketing technology. Uh, you might say, look, this is an untested marketing technology, but we expect it to bring us uh, 60 leads over the course of this 12-month contract. I'm like, great, okay. Now you've told me that I have confidence that you will probably measure how many leads that we're getting over that 12-month contract because in 12 months' time, this uh, SaaS vendor is going to say, okay, time to renew. Uh, Are you going to renew? So you need to have an ongoing idea of did this match expectations? And it kind of, I think that the idea of knowing the types of outcomes that you care about is really important. One of the, the, the things that happens a lot when buying software and external tooling is sales teams are very good at their job in general they'll try to sell you something (laughs) and they'll show you the shiniest best parts of the product that you're you're looking at Um, but uh, maybe you'll get very excited about it but you have to turn off that excited brain for a second and think about the outcomes and ROI brain as well so it sounds very obvious and straightforward but think about outcomes and then make sure you're thinking about them over the lifetime of that contract and you're checking in
0: now, so that's looking at it as a CEO, like across all departments. If we scope this down specifically to purchasing, SaaS, and infrastructure, and 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 tooling within engineering leadership, do you find that there are any particular issues that stand out when you're working with your engineering team?
1: Well, it's not so long ago that I I was wearing my engineering hat. Uh, <laughs> if, like, think of myself as a retired software engineer, uh, <laughs> but I, I feel I feel like. Uh, how's in retirement general,
0: working for you? <laughs> oh,
1: I get, an itch, I get an itch to write a little bit of code here and there, but I doubt my team would let me uh, merge any of my pull requests these <laughs> days. Let's put it that way. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like that when, when I came up in engineering, software engineers and engineering managers don't formally get any training in thinking about ROI conversations. And I think, you know, you have to kind of do this on the job and learn it over time. And if you've done a computer science degree, there's no... Um, the ROI of tooling 101 that you sit in. (laughs) And so you kind of have to just figure this out over time. And some people are good at it and some people aren't good at it. But overall, I actually think engineering teams are less good at this than other types of departments that have to think about outcomes and ROIs numerically as part of their day-to-day job. And so that's tricky. I I think that, uh, like I said earlier, it doesn't have to be maths. It doesn't have to be something that's very precise. You can say, um, okay, we're, we're, we're getting this, um, we use a product, I think I forget what it's called now. I think it's called Status Hero uh, that does daily check-ins. It will, in Slack, come in and say, how did we do today? Did we, uh, did we get done what we said we got done? And if someone came to me and said, I want to spend money on this, I would say, okay, what behaviors do you think this is going to drive? What outcomes do you think this, this is going to give us? And again, it's not necessarily pure mathematical ROI, but look, if my team uh, are thinking about how well they're doing on a daily basis, we think that that will give them more awareness and learn more about uh, where the gaps are and where they're slipping. Uh, and I'm like, great, cool. Check in with them. Make sure that we're getting that outcome over time. So it's, it's, uh, it's not something that comes naturally, figuring out these things. You have to intentionally have these conversations. Uh, one one other thing I think that's that's interesting as well is that engineering teams uh, quite often when you think about the the ROI you're thinking about okay this is the cost of the product uh, what's the cost of not having the product is is a, is a more valuable question to ask so if you think about risk cost. I think that's an important thing to factor in as well. If you, the cost of downtime, for example, if you have a, a you skimp on a, a, a outage reporting product, let's say, uh, and you think we'll do it ourselves, we'll have it internally. What's the cost of your site being down for two, three, four hours um, in terms of lost revenue? But what about brand costs and other things that maybe as an engineering team you're not thinking about? Or what if? Uh, uh, you know, let's say you're using something like Sendgrid to send emails and you think, oh wow, on paper this is very expensive. What if we did all email sending ourselves? It might be that by doing that, you're not necessarily the experts at email sending. You might not send emails by accident for a week <laughs> or, or a few days. What would marketing say to that? Marketing would say, well, that's affected our goal of not hitting all these leads or whatever it is. So there's there's direct costs, which are like, the ROI of this is we can save money on sending emails, but there's these risks that are just harder to quantify and more nebulous out there. So I think that's also a tricky thing on engineering teams.
0: And do you find that when you're working with teams to think through those things, let's say your team is like, Hey, I've got like this old PC, like I could put it in our closet and we could totally run all the (laughs) SMTP using that. Um, How, quant? how, quantitative do you get about this do you literally have like an exec meeting where marketing says this is the cost of not sending emails for a day and like breaks it down or is it more just like guys what are you doing this is going to save us a thousand bucks a month do you know what our burn is Uh, yeah how how precise do you get about that process of helping engineers to think about the real cost of downtime and outages
1: so, so what my um, my my co-founder RCTO will do is our approach in the business is tend to give people the the the, the control and power uh, and responsibility over the this stuff themselves. So, I think people when you have that in your culture, I think people understand. Okay, let me think about the the, the shape of this and the pros and cons. If you're very constrained with people, I think they they might make this. Let's say you had an OKR goal this quarter of reducing the cost of your infrastructure tools. Yeah, you might go and switch out SendGrid, but then that's going to screw up another goal that you have. So I think that having holistic goals all the company or all the team buy into solves this problem. But uh, what what, uh, my co-founder does is uh, he'll ask questions. He won't say, do this, do this, do this. He'll be like, what are the risks of this? Have you considered the risks? And it's, it's, it's almost like a prompt of there could be risks, there's always risks in any decision. Have right. you thought about them yet? And if someone comes back and says, "Yeah, I did an assessment, and I, you know, maybe I wrote it up," uh, then it's it's cool. You've made the decision. You've thought about it. Let's let's go for it. And and if something goes wrong, fine. At least we did think about it. So I, I think it's it's a cultural uh, at a cultural level the way we solve it is give people uh, what is in Spider Man: great with great power comes great responsibility. Uh, <laughs> in. Uh, uh, yep. If it's not just Spider, that's probably like a philosopher and I've probably just completely screwed that up. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that that I think is 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 the right way to do it. Give people ownership over something and they'll think about all of the pros and cons and risks.
0: Love it. So maybe putting your SaaS vendor hat back on for a moment, did you ever get frustrated by customers who don't buy that should?
1: Uh, all, all the time. Uh, it, it, I think that the, the trends are in a big way people are buying versus building uh in most cases you 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 don't you want to focus on your core competency as, as a company like we are really good at being a movie streaming service or a delivery food service or bank or whatever it is so you focus on what you're good at I think historically a lot of problems in software maybe were unique to certain industries or, or unique to certain scales but I think that the industry in general has stabilized on uh, doing things in a similar way. We've all learned from each other. And we're starting to do things in a similar way, which is really, really good for innovation. The more that we have a solid common foundation, the more we can innovate on what matters. But yes, I, I mean, I can't really talk about specific, <laughs> I'd love to talk about <laughs> specific company names. But no, we, we, we get into conversations sometimes with senior leadership at engineering departments where maybe individual contributors or engineering managers at the company will be like, we love this product. We love like, We want to use it in our applications because we know it's going to save us time and money, and and allow us to focus on what matters and fix the bugs that matter. And so we're like, great, let's start a proof of concept. And you know, somewhere during the proof of concept, while the 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 people who are using the product day to day are giving us a review and evaluation on how the product is we're getting the thumbs up there, we have to go and talk to some other people. We have to infosec, we have to talk to legal, we have to talk to procurement, we have to talk to the executive sponsor, the person who holds the keys to the budget. And uh, sometimes the person who holds the keys to the budget will think about the budget in a very narrow way. So uh, rather than listening to what their engineering managers and ICs are saying around, this will save us 20% of, of, of human time, uh, person time working on, on our projects, they'll say, well. The tool that we have in place right now costs us $20,000 a year. This product is being quoted at $100,000 a year, let's say. So this is $80,000 more. Let's not buy it. But the grand scheme of things, there, there would be a huge net saving of, of, of the tools in comparison. And like I said earlier, if you have an overall approach to budgeting, where you factor that whole thing in and you're holistic, Normally, you shake that out and figure it out during your buying process. I think there's some engineering leaders that don't have that holistic approach who will say, right, I have a budget for tools and infra, and then I have a budget for headcount. And there's no pool that I can share between them. So I've got my headcount hiring. I'm hiring all these people. They're ready to go. Doesn't matter that it's going to take them 20% longer to do their job. I just want to optimize on this number over here and bring this down or make sure this number doesn't go up because then maybe there'll be scrutiny. A lot of the times it will be bigger companies or where there's a lot of scrutiny or politics involved in these numbers or where budgeting is very, very rigid from the top down. So yeah, it's going away. Thankfully, even the most, um, I think, uh, traditional companies are starting to realize that, that you you building reinventing the wheel is not a good idea to 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 increase the pace of innovation. So it's thankfully going away.
0: And I feel I think it's it's one of those kind of law of big numbers things you run into too. Like as a company gets to a certain size, it's like, do you know how much money we'd save if we didn't stock the fridge? As like, do you know how much time your engineers are going to spend walking across the street to the bodega, and how much productivity that's going to cost you? Yes, you're right. You will save a million dollars a year in groceries. It's not worth it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my, one of our investors jokes around sometimes and talks about, uh, you know, it, uh, that that company spends this amount of money just on uh, uh, Lacroix uh, drinks <laughs> a year or whatever it is. <laughs> it's it's so it's. Uh, I think it's easy to get caught up in in the, yeah, you get a big spreadsheet, and you you get a marker pen, and you cross things out that have lots of zeros on in the end, but then you don't have the other spreadsheet next to you, and and, I mean, actually, honestly, some companies um, where they aggressively hire and do headcount hiring uh, on an annual basis may have... I wish we had this as a problem. This sounds like a champagne problem. But they may have more engineers than they have projects uh, <laughs> at a time. So you end up with, you know, you've you've probably heard of this before, really, really large companies where they'll hire aggressively to get all of the talent in straight out of college or, or poach from other companies. And then you end up with really high quality engineering team sat on the bench almost and so maybe they do want these teams to work on something so they get them to work on building their own bug or their own slack or their own, <laughs> own whatever it is uh, and both both of those are examples i've seen their own zendesk i've seen all three of those where there are existing products out there that would be much better and cheaper if you factored in the headcount cost anyway <laughs>
0: Well, that brings me, I think, perfectly to another question, which is historically one of the big challenges, I think, in engineering orgs has been the whole not invented here syndrome. It's like, how hard could it be error monitoring you know feature flagging I always joke with edith it's like so basically you've raised how many tens of millions of dollars for a hosted if statement (laughs) Uh, but it turns out that once you start hacking that if statement yourself it's like oh and now i need dashboard and reporting Mm -hmm. and the the capacity to to manage it across multiple service and canary rollouts and and it turns out that what looked like about a 20-minute job for one engineer now you've got four people working on it forever uh are there things that you try to do to coach your engineering team to do a better job of thinking about that build versus by decision
1: oh it's really difficult i i'm super guilty of this especially earlier in my career the same thing Oh, how how hard could that be you know we could build that in a weekend that's easy peasy but yeah you can you can build the absolute crappiest version of that in a weekend and then you'll get bored or you'll have other priorities coming in where your your manager is going to say we have to get this new feature out or this new release out and then that thing that you hack together in a weekend is then just going to be there crumbling in a corner for multiple years (laughs) it's it's one of these things where yes you can build the thing but it will be crap and it won't get a lot of love and it will never be as good as when you have a team of experts working on it learning from other companies and other teams of what the best way to build something is like i, I really think that i really think that as you get uh, more experienced as a software engineer it te- tends to be mostly junior software engineers that make that mistake as you get more experience you start to realize that yeah there's a lot of complexity in software development <laughs> and getting things right and maintaining it over time is is, is very important um i feel like we are a SaaS company that sells a SaaS product. So in our DNA, is, is has someone else solved this problem already? And that's the same of, of buying SaaS software, like a, like a SendGrid, for example, that we use, or uh, choosing an open source library or an open source uh, part of our stack. Uh, I think that it's in our DNA by default to, to, to think someone else is probably the expert here. Can we, can we get them to do it? There are areas, though where we have been convinced to build something ourselves. Um, you know, we've never built a database, but but there are times where we say, look, we could use this database that's got off-the-shelf time series capabilities. But actually, this is close enough to the core IP of the business, the core thing that actually makes Bugsnag, Bugsnag. We need to get this right. So what are these use cases? How can we make them incredibly fast? Uh, how can we make them scale? And And so you end up with, I think the closer to the, ip you get the closer to what makes your company your company the more important it is to to be really considered about should we build this ourselves and what would make building this ourselves uh better for the business and better for our customers so yeah it's difficult for for us because it's in our dna to, to default to um uh to to bringing expertise rather than building everything ourselves
0: that makes a lot of sense. And like Eric Evans was talking about this in the Domain Driven Design book, like however many years ago that was. And he was talking about the core versus sustaining, right? And there's the core business, the differentiator what makes your business you, you need to build that because that is your differentiator. And then there's right. all the other stuff just required to run. No, you don't need to rebuild great planes. You probably could build a better accounting system if you had enough time, but you're in the business of, you know, bug monitoring. <laughs> it's, it's just not what your engineers should be focused on. Yeah, I feel, though, as, as people start to learn that lesson, there then becomes this harder trade-off and this harder question about, so, okay, I get it. It's not easy to build software. I'm not going to go build Zendesk myself. But, you know, there's this open source library that somebody built, and you're like, no, 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 we're not going to do open source. It's not the business we're in. We shouldn't be customizing and building that what about the professional open source where we can get support and licensing around it? It's kind of the same, almost the same as a commercial product. How do you start to think about the trade-off, not with a naive build versus buy, but once you're like, okay, we're kind of sort of buying whether or not a check is involved. How do you think between selecting between just raw open source, professional open source with support versus, you know, a proprietary solution for a given domain?
1: Yeah, it, it's, um, it's something that, I'm getting a lot more clarity in my head around, as I think about it more, but the open core is fantastic. Open core is, is, is awesome. There's lots of companies that have built their business around open core now, like MongoDB and and um, HashiCorp and, and, and great companies like this, where you can take that open source layer and deploy it elsewhere. You don't have to pay for their support and services. If they build their business model in the correct way, where they say, look, You can go and use this yourself you can have a great time using this here's all the docs and we'll set you up for success but we're here if you need us that i think is a really great approach to open core because there's no competing agendas there if that makes sense like if if your your company is an open core company that is selling services and support on top arguably there may be an incentive to make your product harder to use and harder to set up uh, through self-service channels and and reading the documentation. So the companies that have done that, I've mentioned a couple already, but like the companies that have done this really, really well, I think basically say, we are going to be incredibly user-friendly. We're going to allow you to do everything you want to do pretty much for any normal type of business. And here's the docs and we care about them. We invest in it. We have a whole team of people writing these docs and we've got support, even though you're not paying us any money. Then they build this, in my mind, they build this level of respect where you're like, I love this company and I believe in them. And so when we're stuck on something or when we need that bonus extra enterprise feature, <laughs> let's give them a call. And uh, that, that's, I think, how you build an open core business. And I think that most of the companies that have done that, I've noticed are in the infrastructure space. And my gut feel on this is, I said this earlier, companies are standardizing on what that base Uh, build out looks like. Probably everybody is running in a cloud. Probably everybody is running in a in containers. Probably they're all running container orchestration in a Kubernetes-like environment. Probably they're, you know, all all these layers on top. They're they're picking a database and there's like two or three types of databases that they can use. So there's not you connect those Lego pieces together in different ways, but they're the same Lego pieces. So I think Mm open core makes a ton of sense in that environment where the next time around, you, you might say, oh, well, I'm connecting this Lego piece in a slightly different shape and way. Let's call their support team and ask how, how we should do this and pay for a, a support plan. The closer you get to the IP, the closer you get to what makes your company unique, and arguably the closer you get to your customers, I think the less likely you're going to be able to dig in that Lego box and find the exact right Lego piece. And so I think that open core model makes sense where you're bu- you have a solid foundation of building blocks. And there's no... Coincidence, that I mentioned like HashiCorp and MongoDB and these kind of companies because I think that they are those Lego building blocks at the the base. Uh, But when you get to areas arguably like a bug snag, your bug snag is designed to help you give your customers an excellent customer experience. And so what is unique about that? Well, you know, you can say, I care about customers spending this amount of money or I care about customers in this part of my code base. You need to be a lot closer to the the customer and a lot closer to... um, the code, and so maybe it doesn't make so much uh, sense to be an open core product. But I, I'm not. I don't have a firm line on this right now. That's more my observations <laughs> of what I've seen so far. Uh, but it's ten- that tends to be a pretty, a pretty uh, easy way to bucket things.
0: That makes sense. And then the, the one other uh, spin I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this is how you think about if, you've, if you don't have an engineering team, right? You're just an entrepreneur. You've got this cool idea. No code is probably the way to go, assuming you can't write a big check because Bubbles better than nothing or Webflow is better than nothing. What's fascinating to me, and I think it's going to be a trend over the next few years, is how do you think about the balance between no code low-code APIs, like, hey, let's use Auth0 for our authentication rather than building it ourselves and just being like, no, we're going to write it all in Java from scratch. How do you think about, like, customization clips? Like, how do you think about selecting APIs and, and low-code or no-code tooling to enhance your engineering capabilities?
1: Yeah, to, the Auth0 example is, is really interesting. I'm thinking back to the beginning of, of Bugsnack where um, we were using Stripe, but Stripe didn't have their subscriptions capability that they have nowadays. So it really dates our company, ages our <laughs> company a little bit. Uh, and so we built our own subscription stuff on top of it. And then six months later, they launched their subscriptions capabilities. And we were like, oh God, we, you know, we spent a month or, or so building our own subscription stuff. And, and now at some point, inevitably, we're going to have to migrate to, to Stripe subscription layer. And I, I think it comes down to that, um, uh, the question of, yeah, is this core competency? Is this something that, that makes us unique? But also, do we think that this is the right single one way to do things? And do we think that this company is going to be around in five years and 10 years? Because if you, maybe you'll take a shortcut by using, you know, Stripe or, or Auth0 and, 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 you know, in a year's time, they get acquired by crusty old corp, Inc. Uh, and then wow. get shut down, and like as uh, sometimes happens. And then you'd be kicking yourself and there'll be a migration plan. You have to shut it down. You have to build your own thing. Hopefully a competitor comes on and says, we've got a compatible API. (laughs) So I feel like like if you think that this is something that everyone is doing and it should be done consistently in the same way, then hell yes, go and use a a provider like this that that helps you remove a whole chunk of capabilities and functionality that engineers are probably fed up with building every company that they go to. I remember back in the day when we we used to do image uploading. Uh, It used to be something every company had, uploading avatars or whatever it was. You'd have Mm -hmm. to find an image storage, put them in S3 or whatever. You'd have to uh, make sure that there was cached. You'd have to, all of these things, nothing about building that is fun, in my opinion. It's (laughs) boilerplate stuff. So I think if it's boilerplate and standard and every company agrees that's the way to do it, use that service if you think they're gonna stick around. When it comes to the the no-code side of things, I think it's I think it's difficult you have to really it, it has to be something where you're confident that the migration off of it if you need to do that is possible and doable and you're not locked into that ecosystem. I think that there are some, players out there and platforms out there like uh, like a Gatsby for example that are, you know pretty open source and they say yeah host it all on ours. so you know you could probably run your own Gatsby you can look at the source code you can you can mess around with that yourself and there's some that are a little more black box where you might be like okay do we really want to be at the whim of this provider this is this is us giving away the keys to whatever it is and so that's a i think that's a bit more case by case and i think you have to assess how important is this property to us and how much do we trust this vendor so <laughs> I, I think that's a maybe i'm being a bit of a cynical brit there but uh, i think that's over time uh, people are getting more accepting to giving away parts of the kingdom to, to third-party providers
0: that makes perfect sense well james we're right out of time but thank you so much for sharing all your thoughts very much appreciated
1: it was fun as always thanks peter